So again, this is Family Worship Sunday, so if you are under the age of, I don't know what our COA kids cut off ages, but if you're younger and you don't know what I'm saying, you could raise your hand if you want, and I'll say it again in a simpler way. How about that? We'll do that. I've made my, yes, good. Don't, don't be afraid. Raise your hand if you don't understand uh, a word. If there's a whole phrase, I might move on, but all right? Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, we'll be here all day. And my wife said, can you please make it shorter? Please. Especially on a family worship Sunday. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. Um, let's dive right in. The phrase, uh, you know, where did I come from often explains a lot. Your family of origin your, the family you grew up in, the culture and place you grew up in, that all matters a lot. And we all have ways of doing things in our everyday lives that actually tells a story about our families, our family history, and where we came from. And so there's a reason that my mom always uses a paper towel more than once. There's a reason she gets, some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. There's a reason she squeezes the water out of it and dries it out on, on the counter. Some of you, this is very strange, but for some of you, that's exactly what happens in your house. And so you know what I'm talking about. And when you enter the family of faith, when you become a Christian, then, and when you decide that I belong to Jesus and I am adopted into his, in his family, and I accept his forgiveness in my life and that he's Lord of my life, you have to do a new kind of realizing what kind of family you're in? What kind of family have I now been adopted into? What are the rules of this family? Do we save paper towels? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, maybe. I don't know, right? But what is this family like? And so that's why, especially in our chapter today, this is why these chapters in Genesis were written, for the family of God to see where they came from. And for Israel, why did we end up in Egypt? And how did we get out of there? And where, were, where are we going Israel was supposed to look into their history and understand what their family was like and also, more importantly, what their God was like. We live in a world where God isn't talked about as much when we go out there to school or we go out there to work. Excuse me. But in a lot of places, they talk about God and it was, what's your God like and what's my God like? And Israel needed to know that. And so it's important that we also look at the word of God together Because for some of you, you've had a really powerful experience with God in your life. But that's actually not enough. You have to look into the word to know him better. That's how you actually, in the future, let's say you have another powerful experience. How do you know that that was God? You have to look in the word of God and see how has God interacted with other people in history so I can know that this thing that's happened to me right now, I know it's God, right? You ever hear a story about somebody you know, but it... That doesn't sound like them. Right. That's exactly what we're doing. We're looking in the word of God to know what he's like, to understand him better. And some of you have found this church by God's good grace, I believe. And and, and hopefully we're teaching the right things about God. But sometimes, because we have a blind spot, because we're not paying attention, sometimes even we need your help to know what is in the word of God and to act on it accordingly. And so this is something we all should be doing together is look into the word of God. And so let's go to chapter 37 as we enter into this chapter. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, 
and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now you need to know a couple things. One is that Jacob is Israel, and Israel is Jacob. So in case you're joining us for the first time, uh, God has renamed Jacob as Israel to kind of uh, uh, to kind of draw attention to the journey that he's really being transformed into a new person. And so if you hear me say Israel or Jacob, uh, they are the same person. Now who is Joseph? He's the firstborn of Rachel, okay? And Rachel is the favorite wife of Jacob slash Israel, right? It's the one that he wanted to marry, and then his uncle tricked him so that he had to marry Rachel's older sister, sister, sister. <laughs> something's, something's popping out from my childhood. Leah, okay? And so now Israel's favorite wife has now passed, and Joseph is the favorite son of the favorite wife. And now there's all these other brothers that are from the other women that Jacob married. And so while he's the youngest, almost the youngest, uh, uh, younger than all of his brothers except Benjamin, he's the favorite. And so Joseph is now growing up without his mom and with all his brothers. And so as a boy, he brought a bad report about the other brothers when he was 17 years old. And so now we don't know the content of what, what he's reporting on. What is he telling on his brothers about? Uh, you know, uh, we don't know if it's untrue or true, but uh, the wording that's used in the Hebrew is usually used when you would tell like an, sort of an untrue report or a, uh, a report that makes something look bad, right? And so it, it wasn't this positive report. It was something that either his brothers were doing wrong or he was kind of telling on them. Some of you kids know this when you're sibling. If you have a sibling, they, they tell on you. They say, oh, he's doing this and they don't give any context and now you get in trouble because it's kind of true but it's not exactly true and maybe that's what's happening. And so the brothers, they hate Joseph because, not just because of that, but because he's being shown favoritism. Israel here, Jacob is not being a good father. He's playing favorites. Now, why is he doing that? Maybe there's some potential and maybe there's something he really likes about this son. Maybe there's some good qualities, but, but either way, his fondness has become favoritism. You see, fondness is when, like, when you like something or someone, that's okay. Favoritism is when you treat that person or that thing better than someone else or everything else. And Israel's sin is that his special fondness for his wife, Rachel, should not have become favoritism. That's Israel's sin in his family, and that has now bled into his children. And so his fondness for Joseph has also become favoritism, and this is just as harmful to their family. And so one of the, ask, the questions that you'll be asking community group this week, if you're in one, and if you're not, you should get in one, is how can you have fondness without showing favoritism? How can you show Christ-like love for everyone while still having fondness for certain people in your life over others? That's a tricky question. I don't even know the answer right now as I tell you that. I got to discuss it this week too. And so it's important to maintain that balance. And see, what does, so Israel fits to do this. What do his brothers do? His brothers, they, they, they react. Did you see how Israel's brothers react? Do you remember last week? 
They, they're not good at reacting to bad things happening. So they react. Instead of bearing it, instead of absorbing it, maybe realizing father is doing wrong, but we need to do right, they react with deep hatred. They hate Joseph. They hate that he has gotten the favor of their father. And so it's not that what happened to them was good, but their reaction is utterly sinful. So a quick diagnostic, a quick way to know what's going on in your own life. How do you know that your heart has hatred for another person? How do you know if you really hate somebody? Well, there's lots of ways. But one symptom is that if you can't even say a nice thing to them. Verse four, right? They hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. You kind of know there's some hate in the water when you can't even speak peacefully. If you can't even say hello without it just being, ugh, I can't even say it to him. That's one way you know you're dealing with some hatred. And a lot of times we sin when we're sinned against. And I want to draw that very clearly. It's not that no one's doing wrong out there. It's that our reaction can sometimes be very, very wrong. And so Israel sins by showing favoritism. And the brothers sin by hating Joseph. Verse 5, now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. All right, do you know when you've already been poisoned against someone? You know how you know this? Is that when everything they say just makes you hate them more. You ever had this experience? You're mad, you're upset, you're, you're filled with anger towards someone, and now it doesn't matter what they say. They could say, the sky is blue, and you go, oh, that's how you are, huh? You just like blue things. You don't like anything else. You just like blue things. That would be your reaction when you are starting to be filled with this kind of hatred. Let me give you some examples that, uh, you know, uh, may or may not be fun for you to think about. We, we start with sports. Your team's always doing right. It's always up. Well, when my team loses, it's, it's, it's we didn't, you know, it's not because the other team's good. It's just we're not doing everything we should. Uh, uh, but, but, you know, you know, sorry, some of y'all know it's an inside joke. Um, <laughs> But also, uh, may, maybe it's uh, celebrities, someone famous that you know and you like. If you hear a bad rumor about them in the news, you go, ah, I'll, I'll wait to see what happens. But if it's someone you don't like, well, they probably did it. If we get into politics, it's the same. A politician you like, someone who holds your views, who represents what you think you would do if you were up there, out there. When, they, when you hear that they've done something, you either see it as good or bad based on how you just what you have in your heart for them. And so these guys are not in a place of neutrality. Oh, and kids, you do this in school. If there's somebody in school that you don't like, maybe they've been mean to you, maybe they haven't been nice to you, anything they do just starts to bother you, right? And so they are, these brothers are poisoned against their brother Joseph already. And let me ask that question. Where in your life have you started to be poisoned with bitterness or hatred what are the relationships that bring you to that place where you start to just, just thinking about them? They could do anything and you would not like it. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's even justified because of something they did in the past. But where have you in your sin allowed everything they do to be seen in that kind of poisoned, different light? Something to think about. Let's go on to verse six. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf, a sheaf is just like a length of plant. My sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule 
over us. So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, we don't know at this point if Joseph is saying things on purpose to make them mad. Siblings are known to do this. Or if he's just telling them his dream. But this really, really doesn't help. And they hate him even more. And now, let's remember again this family history. Do you think that the the parents' relationships had anything to do with this kind of hatred that had begun? Do you remember what we saw just a few weeks ago with all of their mothers, the competition, the jealousy, the envy, the, 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 the deep bitterness towards one another? And we see that a few weeks ago. You don't think this had anything to do with these brothers not liking each other? Have you ever paused to understand your surroundings, your life, your family, your church family you grew up in maybe, or even the neighborhood you lived in or grew up in, if you don't think about those things, you're flying blind in your relationships. Those things all matter. And now these guys have not thought about it. They are just seething with anger. Verse nine, then Joseph, he, dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, why does he keep telling them? It's not a good idea. Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, if, if you don't know what that means already, I, I think uh, it's pretty clear. You don't need an interpreter for that. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this saying in mind. So now he's got a second dream about the same thing. And Joseph is saying, one, essentially Joseph is saying, if you haven't got it yet, one day you're all going to bow down to me. And all right, so all, if you go to someone who hates you, and you say, you're going to bow down to me one day, this is, this is poking the bear, they say. What happens when you poke a bear, it gets angry, right? And you might uh, lose your life. Uh, but also, if you come from a pretty traditional culture or household, this is extremely rude. Like, if you come from my culture, you're, you're in a lot of trouble just for suggesting that one day your parents are going to bow down to you. This is a very crazy thing to say. And listen, Joseph is not five, right? We know He's 17 in the beginning of the chapter. He's of age. He can vote, okay? He can, <laughs> there's no voting. I'm just saying. If he were now, he could vote. He's like probably 18. He, he knows what he's doing. He has some responsibility here. And so what does it do? It's interesting. There's actually two reactions to this dream. His brothers are upset, right? But it doesn't say that they hate him even more, which you'd think would be the motif. It's already, he's already, they've been hating him. For, for verses now, right? It actually says they're jealous of him. And that's interesting. And then his father kept the saying in mind. So what does this mean? So it means that, uh, you know, when you would have a dream more than once, as we'll see later in, in Genesis, it means something more than just you had a weird, funny dream. It means that God is trying to speak through the dreams that you're having. And you'll see this later. God gives people dreams in Genesis, and it means that God is trying to tell them something. So, so the brothers, they hear it, and, it's, and what Joseph is kind of saying is, I had this dream twice. God has told us, told all of us now, that you're all going to bow to me one day. And so what's interesting is what love and hatred can do. 
what I've been talking about. Jacob actually hears this potentially very offensive thing, and he, he is offended, right? He rebukes Joseph. He goes, how dare you speak this way about us? But then he keeps it in mind because he loves his son. So even if his son has done wrong, maybe been kind of rude, maybe he didn't tell it in the right moment, maybe he was mad and he told it, I don't know. But he keeps it in mind because he loves Joseph. But his brothers, they're jealous of him. They're, they they are now, they are now in a, in a place of negative emotion towards him. They don't have any ability to keep it in mind because they're just blinded by the hatred they have. When you hate someone, now you have jealousy. Hatred makes you blind and love makes you keep things in mind is what I wrote here. And I didn't know that rhymed until right now. A little note on dreams, by the way. We do believe as Christians that dreams like this still happen. Joel 2, 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is a prophecy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophecy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. We believe that God still speaks in dreams. One of the pastors in our network actually told me a few weeks ago that they were talking with someone who had left uh, Boston and was living somewhere else. And they had started going to this other church and they weren't sure about it. And then they had this dream. And I can't remember what the dream's about, so I'm not gonna tell you. But all I know is that this pastor, right away, the Lord just gave them the meaning. And he said, I know exactly what that dreams mean, dream means. And he's not the kind of guy that usually just jumps out He says, I know exactly what it means right now. But he said, I know exactly what it means. It means that this church you're going to is not a sound church and you need to leave. And actually, as it turned out, that was actually totally correct. God still speaks through dreams and we can ask God to help us interpret dreams. I'd say, especially if you have the same one a couple times and it seems to be very specific in what it's doing, bring it in prayer to God and bring it to the saints. And so maybe you've had a dream lately, today, and you need help to interpret that. I've never done that before, but I am happy to pray with you, or there will be folks on, on the right here that will be happy to pray with you to try to discern with God what that dream means. Okay, so his brothers are upset. Joseph's not blameless either. You know, Joseph, maybe he's realizing that God is saying something, but he is maybe a little emboldened, right? You've already made your brothers angry. Now you're just gonna tell them this dream. Maybe not, you could keep it quiet. You know, there's definitely times in the Old Testament where people hear big news about themselves and then they just kind of, they're quiet about it for a while. Joseph is not so quiet. Maybe he thinks, well, I'm gonna rule this place anyway. Might as well tell him. I've got a fancy coat. I'm, I'm, I'm my father's favorite. It's all in line for me. I'm just gonna go out there and tell everyone. And Christians, sometimes we forget that we have the gospel and we know the Lord and that that's his gift to us. It's not something that we uh, uh, earned or deserve. It's not something we're entitled to, and maybe that's what Joseph's doing here. He hears the dream, he he sees the favor, and he thinks, oh, it's just because I must be better than everyone. That must be why I have these things. Maybe that's what he's doing. But if you actually look back, and if Joseph would look back, he would see that's not why this is happening. This is happening just because just because God put his favor on me and my family. Because God decided in the mystery of his providence, in the mystery of just being in control, that he loves me. And you you will see God does not leave this family alone. They are not that great, as you see. They don't have a great family thing going on. But God's love 
for Joseph's brothers, he won't leave them in that place where they hate Joseph. He doesn't want Joseph either to feel entitled, so he's going to put Joseph through some things too. He's going to let some things happen. He doesn't want Jacob to play favorites, and he's going to teach Jacob. He's going to allow Jacob to experience the consequences of that favoritism because what God wants to do is expose their hatred and their pride and their sin so that one day they'll see how ugly those things are and turn away and not want those anymore. And we see the beginning of that process. God's not going to leave them alone, and God is not going to leave you alone. If you find yourself in a moment where you are filled with hatred or jealousy or bitterness, God doesn't want to leave you alone there. Let's go to verse 12. Now, as brothers went to the pasture, to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he, Jacob, sent him, Joseph, from the valley of Hebron, and Joseph came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, what are you seeking? And he said, I'm seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they've gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, eaten him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. So the, bro- the brothers, they hate Joseph even more. And Joseph is not being very careful by sharing with his brothers who, who already don't like him. You know, he is sort of shoving things in their face. But the brothers are so blind by their hatred. You know, they don't realize. They are not at this point just angry at Joseph. But, but they know, and that's why they're jealous that they are angry about the plans of God. God reveals some of his plan in these dreams, and they decide, in the insanity of their anger, that they want to go against God. When they say, we will see what will become of his dreams, who gave him the dreams? It's God. And now, it's truly staggering to think about. They're so filled with hatred and jealousy they decide it's a good idea to go to war with God. Do you see what hatred does to us? Do you see what jealousy does to us? It causes us to do this. We begin to say, so when God says, I'm behind something, I've decided I want to use some sort of situation in your life to bring me glory and to bring you closer to me. We have two options. We could keep it in mind like Israel. We could keep it in mind because we know who's speaking to us, or we can try and decide to fight God, like Joseph's brothers. Are you family, are you Christian, in a place, especially in the family of faith, in the church, where you hate someone? Is there a place where God is unfolding his plans in your life and in someone else's life, and the way that those things are unfolding, it feels unfair? like it might have to Joseph and his brothers. Let this be a warning. Bring your feelings about this to God. Bring your heart to God. Bring your emotions to God and do your business with God or at least keep it in mind. But do not allow that sin to grow so that you can't see clearly and then you want to do 
even more wrong. See, these brothers are out of their mind because that's what sin does. It makes you crazy. They are ready to kill their brother in their hatred and jealousy and to try to go against God. Let's keep going. Verse 21. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. They hate that robe, remember? The robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. So at first, they're going to kill him. Then things kind of start, and then they're like, we'll see what happens to his dreams. Then they kind of pull it back. Reuben helps them pull it back. And maybe collectively, you know, if they all really wanted to kill him, I don't think Reuben could stop them. He's clearly too afraid to stand up anyway. But they decide, okay, maybe, they're, maybe they fear God a little. Maybe they just feel bad it is their brother. And Reuben, the, you know, he, we don't know why Reuben tries to save Joseph's life. Maybe it's for good reasons. Maybe he genuinely realizes this is bad, but he doesn't stand up to his brothers either. Not fully. He, he's trying to rescue his secret. Maybe he's trying to get back into his father's good, his good side, right? Because we just know last chapter, he did something that was extremely inappropriate uh, uh, that, that his father heard about. Maybe he's just afraid of getting in trouble. Well, we don't know. But what we do know is that he should have stood up to his brothers and instead he just tried to half do what was right in secret. And then it says, they sat down to eat. Which is to understand, how to understand this moment of eating. It's, this is not like, oh, the food's here, let's like quietly sit down. Uh, in chapter 42, verse 21, they're talking about this moment to each other. Look there, 21, chapter 42, 21. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul and he, when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress, this distress has come upon us. So if you can imagine, they just thrown him into the pit and he is begging them, distressed in his soul. And they're just, they're just eating with a sense of sad. I'm sorry, it's not funny. I just, I don't know why. I think it's a little, just weird, you know? They're just sitting there enjoying their food, enjoying the fact that he's miserable. Do you see the effects of sin? Their hatred and jealousy, they're folded into each other, and now they don't even care that their own brother is begging for his life. Friends, where are you fighting not with others, but ultimately with God? Where in your life has God decided that he wants to unfold things in a certain way in your life versus someone else's? Where are you not taking your emotions to God, but instead letting hatred grow in your heart towards someone else? James 4, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, he illuminates this for us. James 4 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Sometimes our problem is not with others, but how God is unfolding things in the lives of others versus how he's unfolding it in our own lives. And our business then is with God. It's not about the others. Our hatred should not be directed towards them. Our business is with him. Bring the desires of your heart to God. 
A good example of this in my life is my mom. You see, my mom, there's a lot of things that have gone wrong in her life in which, in I'd say for much of her life, uh, and until she was in her 60s, there was a lot of, you know, I could see when my mom was stressed out. Maybe it was something going on in our family members, maybe in her own life, maybe in the finances, maybe in someone getting sick, all of that stuff. But the thing I've noticed for the last several years is that my mom just has this calm about her. And it doesn't matter what extremely stressful thing we're talking about. She, with just the calmest look on her face, is like, no, no, I've, I've, I've given that to God. And it just doesn't bother me. I know he's going to take care of it. And it's not like a fake, you know, the fake, uh, I've given it to God, but like, actually, they're really worried. She is genuinely not worried. And it's the most amazing thing to see in the life of my mom, that now, as she is getting older, the Lord has really done this work in her life. She has brought the desires of her heart to God. Nothing happening in the world out there is bothering her. Nothing in her relationships, nothing going on in our family, nothing going on with her career and and the uncertainty of when she can and how she can retire is bothering her. She's just giving it to God. And instead of surrendering and bringing themselves to God, these brothers haven't learned to do that. So what do they do? Verse 25, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Now, notice that Judah is pointed out, and that's because these chapters of Genesis, people think, oh, this is Joseph's story. It's not really Joseph's story. It is sort of the story of these brothers. We always want a hero, but actually there's no hero here. This is a story of how Joseph and his brothers are figuring things out, and Judah, who we'll see next week, has his own problems, and here he is suggesting, you know, he's trying, you know, like this is a sarcastic good guy, ah, why be such a bad guy? Let's just sell him and make him go away forever. Do you see what's happened? Do you see how far their hearts have fallen? I think it's really easy when someone else is doing this. It's really hard when you are in the middle of it. Have you ever been in conflict with a person that if I told you right now, I could make them go away? They'll just nothing. They just won't exist anymore. And I'll give you $10,000. When you're really mad, it feels, you feel that, maybe it's not enough money. Can I give you 20000 Okay, I'll give you $20,000, and they can just disappear forever. You'll never see them again. How many of you would take that? How many times would I take that? And let me point out to you how dangerous and evil this kind of sentiment is. It comes straight from hell. I can't say it any clearer than that. Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph, sorry, (laughs) excuse me, Yeah. Some of you take that money, and I know it. (laughs) Can I just take the money but not have them disappear forever? They just go away for a few months. Sorry. This is a little funny. All right. God gives us laughter uh, at really horrible things, right? That's that's the nature of humor. I'm I'm out of this uh, uh, side road here. All right. Verse 29. When Reuben returned to the pit, 
and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? And maybe it's because he's the oldest sibling and some of you, if you're the oldest sibling in the family, you carry, I'm not the oldest sibling, but I have come to understand this after many conversations with oldest siblings. You carry kind of an inordinate burden. You really wanna please your parents. You really wanna do what's right by all your brothers and sisters. And a lot of times the other ones aren't taking the charge they should of their own lives. And so you're like, well, I guess I've got it. Once again, it's on me to do it. So maybe he's got some of that going on in there. But do you notice his statement? He's not ultimately concerned about Joseph. He's concerned about himself. He's upset because of what is going to happen to him. And so now do you see how deceitful your heart can be, especially when you allow it to go in the direction of hatred and jealousy? Do you see how self-assured we can be? These guys are not thinking clearly, but they cannot see it. How can you and I see better? And let me give you one way to do that. That's the same thing I said last time I was up here, which is that you can talk to the saints of God. How many times have I been in the middle where I am so right, where I am so right and I'm so angry, but I'm so right and it feels good. And then I go and bring that to a trusted brother, trusted sister, and I say, hey, let me show you how right I am. Let me show you how right I am. And I bring it all. And I show them how right I am. And with one word, they dismantle the whole thing. It's crazy. Tyler once said to me, I think you're being a lot nicer to yourself than you are to the other person. And he was right. Go to one another when you are caught in a place of deception. When you're that angry. You know, it's really easy. You're that mad. You're that enraged. You're probably not in a place of peace. And we know peace comes from the Holy Spirit. So you're not there. So go and talk to someone until you get there. Verse 31, then they took Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat. That means they killed a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. So they lie and they deceive their father. Does that sound familiar? You know, it's almost like they, have, they come from the same family. You know what's crazy? It's they're using goat's blood. They dip Joseph's robe in goat's blood, just like their dad used goat's skin to lie to his father when he was stealing his brother's blessing. The cycle continues. They just, they just can't stop doing the same wrong over and over again. Notice also they say, is it your son's robe? They don't want anything to do with them. They don't say our brother. They say your son. And that's another way you know. When you pray about that person, when you think about that person, is it, especially if it's in the church, is it my brother, my sister, so-and-so, or is it to God, this son of yours, this daughter of yours? Verse 34, then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. He was weeping and crying for many days. All his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son, Morning, thus his father wept for him. He is so sad, he won't be comforted. And he just says, when I die, I'll just go see him. There's not a super clear sense of heaven and hell at this point, but he just says, I'll, I'll, I, that's the only way. I, I, I don't want to be comforted. I'll just go, I'll just die too. I want to die. That's how sad I am. And meanwhile, the Midianites, verse 36, had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, 
an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Friends, this paints a pretty bleak picture, doesn't it? The family comes from liars and cheating. There's dysfunction. They hate each other. They're fighting and they're lying to each other and they're hurting each other. And I think all of us in this room can see a little bit of that in ourselves. And if you don't, just give it some time. (laughs) Or ask someone else, do I have that in myself? Maybe it's not so big now, but maybe you, like Reuben, when something bad happens, you just wonder about what's going to happen to you. Maybe for others of you who have lived longer in this room, you're starting to see these symptoms of hatred, and you almost would trade, make them go away and take the money. And the question is, how could anything good come from this mess of Joseph's family? How could anything good come from the mess in our own lives? And it's actually wild how the book of James once again works with this passage. Let's look at James 5. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. God and his mercy can make goodness from anything that you see. And we'll see this later in Joseph's life. You'll see how God transforms their relationships with each other, how he transforms, he changes their physical circumstances, and he saves them from starvation. And he does all of that. And you see, the brothers... They left Joseph in that pit and they didn't care about his cries, but God would still save them from starvation despite what they did. God saw Joseph and God saw this family undeserving and he delivered them from it all. But we knew something else too would be coming later. We know as the church that thousands of years later, God would have his one and only son, his one and only begotten son cry out, And in order to hear our cries, God the Father did not listen to his son's cries. Jesus cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God the Father does not answer. And he doesn't respond because Jesus took on himself all of the hatred and jealousy and sin and all the things that we do wrong. He took that all on himself and he got the punishment that we should have gotten. We should have been left alone. We deserve the punishment for the way that we try to nothing each other for the way that we'd rather have money. But he took what we deserved on the cross and rose back from death to life because the grave could not hold him. Defeating our sin, he defeated our sin and the enemy who tries to get us to hate one another and death. Jesus did this for us. Because Jesus was rejected, we know we're never gonna be left alone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much hate you have right now. God loves you and wants to bring change into your life. God here uses the evil that his brothers do for good and we can remain steadfast because Jesus will deliver us when he returns or maybe in some good partial way during this life. Let's bow our heads, take a moment to pray. Let me ask you this morning, is there a relationship in your life? Is there a situation in which you find that your heart is filled with hatred, 
Or maybe it's been hate, hatred for so long that now it's cold. You've got nothing for this person. Where you don't have the love that you should have. I want to ask you to turn and ask mercy from God. Because he won't deal with it according to what you deserve. But instead, he'll help you to see his plan in all of it. You see, I'm not sure what Joseph felt as he was being taken away by slave traders. Maybe Joseph began to doubt the dreams that God had given him. Maybe he began to doubt that anything, maybe he began to doubt that he would ever see his brother, his brothers or his mother or his father again. But God knew and God was with him. And in the middle of conflict and strife, in the middle of dealing with relationships and family and figuring out who we are, especially in the family of God, God is also with us. God has plans for us. God will protect us even when we find that we are fighting against him. Come into God's presence. Ask him to help you with your hatred and your indifference and your jealousy. Come to him now. I want to give you a minute to do that. Maybe you've never asked for God's help in your life. Maybe you don't believe in him this morning. This is the time to come and ask for his help. Say that you want his help. You're tired of hating. You're tired of the bitterness. It's not that no one's done you wrong, but you're tired of being owned by it all day. Come to him and ask. I'm gonna give you a minute to do that, and then I'll pray for us. God, thank you for being our God. Thank you for knowing us and loving us. Thank you, Jesus, that because of your death and resurrection, even if we've let our hearts be filled, not with your love, but with indifference or with, a, or with hatred, you want us to bring that to you. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be worried about. And so, Lord, we come to you and we ask you to change that. We ask you to help us to deal with it. Please be with us in Jesus' name.